This is episode 221, Overthinking Decisions and Perfectionism with Quigley. Welcome to Over It and On With It. I'm your host, Christine Hassler, and for over a decade, I've been a life coach, speaker, and author. Each week, you'll hear me work directly with a caller as I coach them through a goal they want to accomplish or an obstacle they may be facing. I'll provide a blend of practical and spiritual advice as well as tangible actions you can apply to your own life. Now, let's get on with the episode. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the show. Big welcome to all of my longtime listeners and my new listeners. As a reminder, every Wednesday, I put up a numbered episode where you listen to an unedited, unscripted, unproduced coaching session between me and an amazing person. And every Saturday, I put up Coach's Corner where it's either just me talking about something or I interview another thought leader. If you're new to the show, I highly suggest some binging and go back to the episode titles, especially the numbered episodes. I've done 221 coaching sessions and just look at the titles and pick the ones that that jump out at you. And what you'll learn after you listen to a few is that even if the episode title doesn't totally resonate with you or you don't think you're going to have something in common with that person, you really always get a takeaway or two or 20. And that is due to the vulnerability of the people on these calls. And today's caller Quigley is no different. So appreciate her vulnerability and her openness. And I really, really love this call because it's an amazing example of how pattern and how personality structures can really take control of our life. And one thing that I've been getting a lot of questions about is, you know, Christine, I didn't have anything that traumatic happen in my life. Why am I having this issue or why am I not fulfilled? And what I want to say is that you don't have to have super traumatic events happen that create patterns that ultimately don't lead to fulfillment. And you'll see that with Quigley. She has a a pattern of of overachieving and, and doing and being a bit of a perfectionist. She had some painful things in her life, but nothing incredibly traumatic. And this pattern has served her and has made her very successful in a lot of ways. But yet deep down, there's a feeling of feeling not fulfilled and having a lot of success and then feeling guilty about it because she doesn't feel fulfilled. So I love this call. It's a bit longer. So my breakdown won't be as long because I do a lot of teaching within the call. As you're listening to this call, consider, are you an overthinker? Do you put tons of pressure on yourself to make decisions? Are you a perfectionist? Do you have super high standards of yourself? Do you go, go, go and do, do, do until eventually you drop often into what feels like a depressive state? Are you outwardly successful, but inwardly not fulfilled? So keep those questions in mind as you listen to my coaching session with Quigley. Also, for any of you looking to shift a pattern or have a major breakthrough or do some of the feeling work that you'll hear me talk about with Quigley in this episode, I highly encourage you to come to my spring retreat. It's for women only. It's March 6th through 8th in San Diego. It is life-changing. It's like 10 years of therapy in three days. It's highly experiential. It's not a lot of sitting around because a lot of you listening, you have a lot of awareness, have a lot of awareness. You're doing the things, you're reading the books, you're doing your meditations, you're going to yoga, but things still aren't shifting. This retreat is the work that you need to do for things to start to shift because we do deep, deep healing and integrative work. And it's fun you're super loved. Yes, there are things that may make you uncomfortable, but we never push you to a place that's highly uncomfortable or unsafe. It is very safe, very nurturing. And it's also an incredible place to heal any wounding you have with women. Because a lot of women, when they come, they're like, oh, a retreat with all other women. I don't like this very much. I'm not going to feel enough. I'm going to feel nervous. I don't trust women or whatever your sister wounding is. This retreat is an amazing place to heal it. And you will leave feeling clear, confident, lighter, more connected to yourself, to your loved ones, to the other women there, to your higher power, whatever that is for you. So to learn more and to apply, go to christinehassler.com slash spring dash retreat. And that will be in the show notes as well. So I'm getting ready to take off. I'm sitting in our office surrounded by boxes. We are moving to Austin in the spring. Our house won't be ready until March or April about. And so we are living out of suitcases for the next four months, heading to Australia first. And all my Australians definitely go to christinehasler.com slash Australia to get on the interest list for an event that we're probably doing there in Brisbane on a 111. 
But as I'm looking around at all these boxes, I'm very, very grateful for Lola because Lola makes packing all my feminine care products very, very easy with their subscription program. So let me tell you a little bit more about Lola. Unlike other major brands, Lola products are 100% natural and easy to feel good about. They make a line of organic cotton tampons, pads, liners, and all natural cleansing founders. Plus Lola products come in a simple, customizable subscription. Lola will deliver exactly what you need when you need it. So as I'm packing up for four months on the road, I got my four boxes of exactly what I need and it just makes it super, super easy. And I know I'm going to get feminine care products that I feel super good about. So most major brands use a mix of synthetic ingredients in their products, including rayon and polyester. Their feminine care products may also be treated with harsh chemical cleansing agents, fragrance, and dyes. Ew. Lola products are 100% organic cotton with no added chemicals, fragrances, synthetics, or dyes. It's founded by women for women, and they now offer cleansing wipes that are safe for use anywhere on the body. They're the first biodegradable, all-natural wipe of their kind, perfect for a midday refresh. Gynecologist approved and hypoallergenic, and do good with your Lola purchase. For every purchase, Lola donates feminine care products to homeless shelters across the U.S., So here is your call to action. For 30% off your first month subscription, visit mylola.com and enter over it three zero when you subscribe. Again, for 30% off your first month subscription, it's a good discount, ladies. Visit mylola.com and enter over it three zero when you subscribe. All right, and now on to my coaching session with Quigley. Quickly, welcome to the show. How can I help? Hi, Christine. I'm so happy to be here. Mm, this is you. a priceless experience. So I'm happy to have a conversation with you. Mm, my pleasure. Something that's been on my mind recently, and I'd love to get your advice on it, is I feel like I have been having the hardest time with making decisions. Mm. And sometimes they're big life decisions, but other times they're as simple as, do I get the salad or the salmon <laughs> um, when I'm out to eat? And, mm-hmm. um, or like, do I do my nails pink or do I do my nails blue? Mm-hmm. And I will, depending on that whole spectrum of like a very big, large, large choice to a very simple choice, I will sometimes find myself getting into these ruts where I overthink it and overthink it. And I feel kind of paralyzed Mm -hmm. in my decision-making process. And I think part of it has to do with this perfectionism that I know I've had my entire life. But recently it's gotten stronger and stronger to the point where I'll find myself really regretting. If I make one decision, Mm -hmm. I'll go back and I'll go, oh, dang, I should have done this other thing? Why didn't I just know? Or I'll just not really feel happy with the choice that I made. And yeah, so I've just had this anxiety around decision making. And I'm trying to figure out what I'm not doing to make it easier on me. I think it's just creating a lot of unnecessary stress in my life. I hear you. I really hear you. And this is a big one. And this is one that many people deal with. In fact, I even came up with a a solo decision-making pledge, which I'll explain later when we get to the the takeaways, but this is not an uncommon thing. So I'm so glad that you're, you're asking about this. So just a couple questions. If you've listened to the show, you've probably noticed that there often is a direct tie into behavior that we're experiencing as an adult to things that happened in our childhood. And I'm just curious, I'm sure you're, you've thought about this. So what were the things that happened? You don't have to tell me a huge long story, but just the, the basic highlights of the things that happened that made you, um, one, as you said, give you per- perfectionist patterns. And then two, the other thing I want you to think about is trouble with decision-making can also come from parents that were almost either either absent. <laughs> and so we were left to our own devices and we didn't feel confident in the decision or that were actually really present and really involved in our life and loved us so much that sometimes they didn't give us the autonomy of making our own decision and letting that be okay. Or when we did make any kind of mistake, there were big ramifications from it. So I'm just curious if any of those apply. And if not, what do you think is underneath this? I'm honestly 
not sure where I think my perfectionism came from, but I do feel like at a very early age, I sort of figured out the system of like how to succeed in life and how to get praised for it. Right. I mean, my parents were definitely extremely present and extremely involved, but also extremely accepting. Mm -hmm. So I did feel like I could kind of do anything as a kid and they would still really accept me and love me for who I was. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I graduated top of my class. I graduated valedictorian of a high school of, it was about graduating class of a thousand kids. So I Mm -hmm. definitely was like, I was hell bent on being the best and getting A's and only A's as a kid. Yeah. And I was a lead in my musical, that kind of stuff, and very quickly saw the attention that I would get and the praise yep. that I would get achieving things. Yep. And that became part of your identity. And this is such an important conversation because yeah. a lot of times people think you have to have something quote unquote bad happen or you have to have trauma to yeah. develop these limiting patterns. And it's not true. Any, any repetitive exposure to something is going to create a pattern and a belief system. So at a very yeah. young age, you were like, oh, when I succeed, when I'm the best, people like me, I get attention, I get praise, I get awards. I'm going to keep doing this because this feels really good because it does feel really good, but it feels so good that it becomes part of your identity. And so then a part of you underneath that, who just wants to be loved for who she is and wants to know that if she didn't have any of the success or any of the accolade that people would still praise her and she'd still be worthy and she'd still belong and all those kinds of things. That part is afraid of, well, if I'm not the best, if I don't keep being the best, then, then who am I? And, and these patterns tend to get even more intense as you get more successful because one, the bar keeps raising And two, with more success and more people, more exposure and more people seeing you and all those kinds of things, there becomes even more pressure to maintain this identity. Oh yeah. And to get bigger and better and bigger and better and do more. Mm -hmm. But it's endless. It's like, where's the finish line? Right. And I, I definitely feel like there's been, I mean, I've had two of the most successful years of my career in the past two years. And it's been really, really exciting. And with like every step of the journey, I've felt like I've been able to really appreciate because I've been out in LA for almost 10 years now. Mm -hmm. And so to have like massive, in my opinion, success in the past two years, it hasn't been that way the entire time. I put in at least, you know, eight years of like at the grind Mm -hmm. to try and figure out what in the world I was doing. Um, in my career before I started to make progress. And then when the progress came, it hit really hard. And throughout the first maybe like year and a half, I felt like I could really appreciate the new, in my opinion, new success that I had had. Mm -hmm. And just in the past like six months, maybe even like four, that feeling of like being able to internalize, like, holy shit, I made it. Like, holy shit, I have my dream career. I have you know, a career right now that I've been working towards my entire life, that feeling of being able to really appreciate where I'm at has sort of dulled. Yeah. That terrifies me yeah. because <laughs> I'm only like two years into like my dream career technically, and I'm already starting to feel like it's not enough. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, it, it, it may terrify you, but it excites me. And here's why. <laughs> <laughs> here's why. Okay. There's the goal line of life which is the success and the external things and the accolades. And then there's the soul line of life. And if you picture it, the goal line is more that horizontal, one thing after the other, the next accomplishment. And there's really no finish line. The soul line is more of a vertical and it's really about our growth and consciousness. And we grow in consciousness as we heal old wounds, we dissolve old patterns, and we become more and more aware of the truth and what really matters most in life and who we really are. So Mm -hmm. I think there's a part of you that you don't know yet. And the reason why this is terrifying is because the part of you that you know and you like that has gotten all this success is afraid if you get to know this other part of you that's interested in the soul line more than the goal line, then what's Mm -hmm. gonna happen to the goal line? Yeah. 
did For that. Sure. And the other thing that I think is happening, and have you read The Big Leap? No. Okay, that would be a good book for you. It's where he talks about upper limits. And that's a little bit what's happening too. You, you've outgrown a pot and you're upper limiting in terms of your success, your, your love of the career, all those kinds of things. And when we're upper limiting, that's when things like trouble with decision-making can come into play because it's almost an uncomfortable feeling and we don't want to mess it up. That combined with your perfectionist tendency of like not wanting to mess anything up, not wanting to, to ruin anything and also kind of upper limiting in terms of the, the amount of success. And then back to the first thing I said, and kind of this, the whole monologue here is there's a part of you that wants to be known because, and I can relate to this. I'm a recovering overachiever. Mm -hmm. I, my first career was Mm -hmm. in Hollywood. It was all about what I could do. And because that became so much of my identity, there were other parts of me that I didn't get to know. There was a level of vulnerability and intimacy that I was missing in my life because I'd been so wrapped up in one identity. And so where you've grown a lot on the goal line, why I'm excited for you is because now the direction you may be going is ascending more on the soul line, which is more Mm -hmm. into the personal development, spiritual development, all those kinds of things. But what tends to happen is as we ascend on the goal line and have even more love in our life, even more connection, even more groundedness, even more peace and presence and detachment from success, the more fulfilled we become on the goal line. Is this making sense what I'm saying so far? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, the question is like, I've always considered myself to be a pretty spiritual person. And I really, I feel like the soul part of my life ebbs and flows. And sometimes I feel extremely connected. And then other times I feel really detached. And I know for a fact that when I'm feeling that detached feeling, that's when like the majority of my suffering (laughs) and Mm -hmm. stress happens. Mm -hmm. And so I'm definitely 100% with you on that. As far as like detaching myself from the attachment to success and the idea that that like my identity is wrapped up in achieving things. Part of your identity, not your whole identity, part of it, a big part of it. Right, part. Mm -hmm. So how do I take that away? Like, you know what I mean? Do I just force myself to be still for a while? Do I like (laughs) shave my head? No, (laughs) no, you have great hair. Don't do that. This is going to seem like a a random question, but this is how, this is the direction to go. What has been most painful in your life? I think the first real painful experience, well, and it's also one of the most exciting experiences, but also one of the most painful. But when I was 19, I was on season eight of American Idol. Mm Mm-hmm. And I made it to the last cut before the top 12 and was kicked off the show. You know, basically the whole spiel with Simon Cowell told I was an atrocious singer, blah, blah, blah. Earlier than that, I had done a swimsuit calendar. And the swimsuit calendar, when I was on the show, was sort of blast all over the internet. This was before social media was even a thing, Mm -hmm. but it was like on TMZ as like this scandal that I was this young Midwestern girl with a radical past. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that being at such a young age and kind of had having my body plastered all over the internet was something that I knew that wasn't my identity. I didn't consider myself this like ultra sexualized being, but there it was on the internet Mm -hmm. and like my whole family could see it. And that was like kind of the first experience that I had with sort of a mass media, but then also humiliation. Yeah. Um, Because I was, I think I was ashamed of how it came across. And I think that really affected the way that I viewed my sexuality and my, my worth as a woman, because the focus was really on external things and not internal things. Like there wasn't much talk of my talent or my tenacity or my, you know, courage for going on national television. It was just like, Oh gosh. Right. Well, and you said the key word there, humiliation. And so, so let's talk about 
the beliefs that were formed when you felt humiliated. Because there's, there's what happens, there's what we make it mean, and then there's the beliefs we form based on when it happens. So like for me, when I was teased, I one of the beliefs is there's something wrong with me and I'm not likable. So because mm-hmm. it was that feeling of, of shame. So when you felt that feeling of humiliation, what are the beliefs that came about from that feeling? I think the beliefs were definitely that as a woman, people really only care about the way that you look. Mm-hmm. I think for me, it was, I'm not sure what the exact belief was, but I definitely know that there was a lot of pain moving forward with being too much um, mm-hmm. and being like, I felt like if I had everything, if I was smart, if I was talented, if I worked hard and if I was charming and if I was stylish and if mm-hmm. I had all the things mm-hmm. that no matter what someone would try and bring me down. Right. Can you see that in that it's put even more either conscious or could be unconscious pressure on you to be perfect and also to portray a certain kind of image? 100%. Yeah. And there may also, like in that humiliation, there might have been self judgments about yourself. Like there might have been judgments of, I shouldn't have done that swimsuit thing. I shouldn't have, whatever. What were some of the self judgments you made about yourself? It was interesting because when I was younger, like very young, middle school to high school, not until I was, well, okay, my first boob came in and then the second boob did not come in for (laughs) six years. And I had basically just developed on one side of my chest for most of my adolescence. And so when I got the second boob, Mm -hmm. I was thrilled. Mm. I was thrilled and I felt so much confidence in my body. And when I did that calendar, I was so proud Mm -hmm. and I was so excited to be a woman. And then I think when I got, you know, shamed for it, it Mm -hmm. made me feel like I shouldn't celebrate my body. I shouldn't be confident. And so I felt like Mm -hmm. I got this short, short window in my life to be able to celebrate my body and really be proud of it and show it off without feeling like threatened by people. And then, so in my, all of my twenties, like I covered up and I made myself smaller. Yeah. That's it. You made yourself smaller. It wasn't just about celebrating your body and being a woman. It was about you being fully authentically self-expressed and you doing something just because you wanted to do it without massive overthinking. Yeah. So this is it. This is the decision-making tie-in because you made a decision that felt intuitive and that felt really inspired. And then you got shamed for it. You are terrified to make another mistake. And so there's the pressure to maintain a certain image. There's the nervousness and the overthinking when it comes to a decision, because there's a there's a trauma attached to a choice you made. Yeah. So can you see why to your nervous system and to your unconscious mind, the thought of making the wrong choice is like, I don't want to be massively humiliated. You're not afraid of making the wrong choice. You're afraid of humiliation and shame. Yeah. Because that's what happened. So yeah, 100%. Yeah. So they kind of, again, back to the soul line and and the growth here. See, spirituality is not just about meditating and being in the flow and all that. Spirituality is realizing that we're a spiritual being having a human experience. And part of what grows us on the soul line is actually going back and, and healing emotions that we didn't get to fully express or heal when they happened at the time. Because when that happened, I'm sure you felt it and I'm sure you had your tears about it and all those kinds of things, but you were also in sort of like PR mode. You know, you were also in massive kind of fight, flight or freeze response because you were shamed yeah. and all this information was coming through. And for the first time in your life, the spotlight was on you. So I think there's a deeper level of healing that is available for you. on on this particular topic of when I express myself or I make a choice that just feels good to me, I get shamed or I get humiliated. And so I have to be a certain way and play by certain rules so that I can be successful and I won't be shamed and humiliated. And there's Mm -hmm. a part inside of you that wants to be, and I get that you're freely expressed in a lot of ways, yet 
if you can feel it, there's a little part of you, and this is where the decision-making comes in, that is like, well, can I really go all the way? Can I really show who I really truly am? Can I really take off all the masks and totally be seen? Yeah. So I think part, I think part of that is like, especially, and I don't want, it's not like I want to be a like swimsuit model again. No, no, no. It's not about that. Yeah. But I definitely feel like I hold myself back. There you go. Because and I think, and this is why your episode that I, that you were talking about intuition really got me was because I feel like I have and I think you said something along the lines of like your first voice is the quietest mm-hmm. and then the voice of society like is the one that's much louder. Yes. And so I'll find myself like I hear my intuition come in and it says something and then like, but this and but that is right. like all of the other things that I think people are going to say or think. Exactly. Because that is attached to a traumatic event for you. Of yeah, because it was your intuition and a deep desire that wanted to do that swimsuit cover or magazine or whatever it was. And then boom, like you just got, you know, humiliated for it. And, and also people started not seeing you for, like you said, the talent and your tenacity and all of those things. So there's a, and part of this too, is just like a deeper trust issue between you and your intuition and really being when you, when you come to a choice, like whether it's salmon or salad or bigger life decisions to really just get quiet, take a breath and, and listen. And just whatever the first thing is that comes forward, go with that and not second guess it and practice on the smaller things, practice on salmon or salad. And you'll start to see over time that it, it comes quicker, but you have to remember that the, the voices that protect us from fear, uncertainty, humiliation, rejection, not belonging, like all the big human owies, the voices that think mm-hmm. they protect us from that are much louder often than our intuition. So you've got a big voice in there that's trying to protect you from further humiliation. Mm-hmm. And so oftentimes that drowns out the voice of your intuition. And so that's why these decisions get a little tougher. So the work really is for you to, I think there's more healing work to do with that. How old were you when that happened? You said 18? Well, I was 19 when I first went on the show, 20 when the show aired. Okay. So all this was happening at 20, still a really tender age, still not a full adult, still, you know, the time when your our brain is still forming. So all yeah. this really got lodged in. And I think that there's some healing work to do with that younger woman, that younger girl inside of you who really, really, really thinks she messed up. There's a part of you that really, really still thinks you messed up and that you were wrong for following what you wanted to do. And so ever since then, you've been controlling yourself more and more, which is why at some level the success doesn't feel fulfilling because there's a constraint. Yeah. I mean, how do you, how do you do that? What are like Mm -hmm. the first steps to healing? And then also like, what would your advice be for just figuring out like how to be okay with where you're at? Mm -hmm. So the first steps to healing are you're actually taking them, just having the awareness. And can you see how, when we were talking about what happened when you were 20, emotions started to come up. Mm -hmm. So that's the first step is to feel it, to go back and, journal like you were 20, like it's happening in present tense. So instead of journaling Mm -hmm. about what happened in the past, like you were telling me it happened in the past, journal like it's Mm -hmm. happening right then and there and see the emotions comes up. So allow yourself to feel it, to have a good, a good cry about it. Or, you know, one thing that I teach in my books and courses is the temper tantrum technique, which is, you know, sometimes we need to feel anger too. We need to hit a pillow. We need to scream. We need to yell. We need to, cause there's there's probably some anger in there too about being treated unfairly and being objectified. There's, I think there's a lot, there's humiliation, there's sadness, there's regret, there's anger. So I I often say feel, deal and heal. So first part is just allowing yourself to feel it. The second part is like dealing with it, either with a coach or a therapist or being in some kind of structure 
or a program that helps you start to to deal with it and have tools and resources to forgive, to, to feel the emotions, forgive the belief, and then start putting new beliefs in place. And then the last part is heal it. And we really heal when we start taking new action steps. So part of the healing for you would be being even more fully expressed in your life and caring even less about what people think and taking actions that maybe scare you a little bit. And I'm sure you do that already, but I'm talking about that are scary in terms of taking off a mask or not, not being in your eyes, perfect or whatever your standard is, but you don't have to do that tomorrow. There's, there's, there's the steps between it. So I think one of the biggest hurdles with, with that right now is just that like my business is so intrinsically tied to my identity. So, I mean, I work in social media and the career path sort of requires you to be constantly creating and so, and be constantly on technology and it's very closely correlated to how present you are on social media to how connected you can be with your audience and how well your business performs essentially. Yep. And so yep. for me, it's like, yeah, I feel like I have to be creating my best kind of art, my best kind of work in order to sustain my business. And it's also this like weird guarantee, like where there's this uncertainty with this career because it sort of sprung up overnight, this idea of being an influencer. Mm -hmm. And now all the brands are like on the ship and they're, you know, Mm -hmm. paychecks are coming in. And it's just like, my question is like this kind of lifestyle where you're creating all the time. So it demands so much of your time and your energy and your bandwidth. And it just feels unsustainable. And it also feels like there's no guarantee for like, you know, if there's a future in this, kind of industry, like how long it's going to last and in what capacity. And so I feel like this immense amount of pressure to grow my business beyond, you know, doing social media ads, I would like for it to be bigger than that. And so I feel like the pressure is like, you got to get that figured out like now. Yeah. But remember when I said, I hear that, I hear all of that. And I've had similar patterns come up in my own business. But if when you go back and you listen to the recording, you'll hear how some of your limiting beliefs are mm-hmm. are impacting what you're saying. And okay. I, again, like I hear everything that you're saying. I really, really do. And I get that. But this is, you're, you're living into the pattern that's been there since you were young of I have to keep doing in order to fill in the blank. That's been a pattern right. that you've had for a really long time. I have to keep doing in order to X, Y, Z. And that, like I said, is a, there's no end to that destination. And the people that stay on that road for a long time end up calling me at 40, 50, 60 and are going, I'm, I'm not fulfilled. I've achieved so much and I'm not fulfilled. So. Well, I feel like I'm already there at 31. I'm already like, I've achieved so much. And I'm like, sometimes, and when I get off of these like huge projects that I do, and I feel the come down of like these huge projects, it's cyclical. Like I will enter a period of depression where I feel really numb and that like, I don't know what I want to do next and kind of paralyzed. Yep. So this is, this is again, the, first of all, normal for, for this pattern, because this is, again, you, you've sort of been, you've outsourced a lot of your self-worth. And so when it's kind of, it's when it's just solely up to you to generate it and to generate that fulfillment from not achieving or not doing or not having any validation it's harder yeah. because it's just a muscle that you never really had to use yeah it's so it's just funny because i i genuinely feel like i i don't know if i've just been blind to the fact that i've been so attached to these things because i've always felt like my relationship with myself is pretty darn good like in the, in the fact that like, I'm, I'm very aware of my self-talk and I'm very like observant of the way that I phrase things in my mind. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel like I've ever necessarily been a bully, but I guess when I look at this pattern of like, you know, do a lot. And then when I'm not doing anything, I feel just really gross. Mm-hmm. 
I kind of, it, it's, it's almost like it's my body that feels bad and mm-hmm. it's not necessarily my thoughts, but it's like my body. And then I'm reacting to my body being blah. Yeah. Well, because it's, you've got a little bit, it's a chemical reaction that's happening too. It's, it's a little bit of success addiction, work addiction. I think so. Yeah. 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 So that's your body basically telling you like, it's, it's like, this isn't working for me. And so what the opportunity here too, as you get to know new parts of yourself and as you get to, and this is a process that I've gone through in my career and, and being, you know, a bit, you know, being someone online, being someone that is a brand is realizing that there are masks on because I make assumptions of, about who I thought people needed me to be or wanted me to be in order to get the success, whatever. And what I've noticed is that as I've taken more masks off and as I've continued to work on my soul line and and I've always focused more on my, my healing, my own growth, my internal world, not always, but for the last 15 years, more on my internal world. I put more money and time into that than my career. And what I found is two things. One, it's been amazing how I've been able to work less, like I've been less in that achieving and more in that being Mm -hmm. and creating. And there's been more success that's coming. And two, how much my tribe loves the mask coming off. Right. And I think that you'd probably find that. I definitely do find that. I think, I mean, internal growth is something that is, I focus on it a lot. Like there's not a week that goes by where I'm but not you're, reading. Here, or but here's the thing. Here's how you're focusing on it. You're, yeah. you're bringing your achiever to your internal growth. Oh yeah. Wait. Yeah. <laughs> so even that aspect of your life is all about it's being like, the I'm best gonna, at I, it. Yeah. I'm going to nail this. Shoot. Yeah, I know. So <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? So it means it's a pattern. It means it's a very entrenched pattern. And it's a pattern that you're scared to let go of because it's worked for you for so long and it's all you know. And you're at a point based on what your body's saying, based on like what you're feeling despite the success and all those kinds of things where your, your soul and your body is wanting something different. And it's, it's wanting, like I said, to, to, to feel maybe some of the feelings that you haven't felt that have been suppressed, that have been kind of brushed to the side and, You've just sort of taken over by, I'm going to like positive affirmation myself out of this and I'm just going to go create something. There's a level and a layer that wants to be expressed and exposed here. And when it comes to doing the personal growth work, a lot of times it's, it's messy. And, you know, a big part of growth for me and for a lot of the people that I work with is just going into feeling crappy. And like allowing yourself to go into that, to surrender into the depression or the yuck or whatever it is and not try to get out of it by our normal coping strategies. Because it's in that, that the breakthroughs and the healings can start to come through. Because if the minute we get into yucky feelings, we try to escape it through one of our, you know, coping strategies, which often can look like I'm just going to go create something or I'm just going to read positive affirmations. It's like we continue suppressing it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I worry sometimes though, when my depressive states are much longer, that it's just hurting my relationship. It hurts my relationship with my husband, um, and with my teammates that help me with my work. And so sometimes when I, sometimes I feel like I go a bit too far. Well, but here's my guess. Mm -hmm. My guess is when you get into depressive states, you're not really allowing yourself. See, there's, there's a difference between going into the feelings with compassion and with, I want to understand myself and I want to allow myself to feel, and I have so much compassion for myself versus going into it with judgment, with apathy, mm-hmm. and with a more analytical approach. So can you see how in those depressive episodes, there's a massive part of you that's judging yourself while you're in it too? And yeah, you can- I definitely go back and forth of being like, oh, there must be something wrong. Like I must 
like it must be my diet or it must be yeah. my the way that I'm not working out or <laughs> the way that I mm-hmm. that I don't have good habits or mm-hmm. I can't say no or I am yeah. I take You're on trying to analyze it. It's You're... usually like I I am not balancing my life well enough and I yeah. Yeah. So that's another way we're avoiding feelings is let me just analyze it and find the solution. Right. So my, you know, as we start to wrap up here, my scene in everything that you shared is there's a deeper level of, of feeling, not a depressive state, but a deeper level of feeling because sometimes it's hard for somebody like you that hasn't had anything, you know, super, super duper challenging. I'm not minimizing what's happening, but you know, from what you shared, there's no abuse in your background. There's no one that abandoned you. You didn't grow up in a house of chaos with alcoholics. Like there's a lot of just blessings that have happened. Um, and so sometimes it's hard when you've had that kind of journey to realize, well, there's some pain too. And because you've been in this pattern of doing and achieving and it's, it's become your coping strategy and your addiction and sort of like a beach ball underwater trying to hold all the times and all the aspects of you that feel out of control and feel sad and don't want to have all this pressure on yourself and don't want to be so responsible and don't want to feel like you have to keep doing in order to be successful. Well, you just kind of like hit the nail on the head with like, I feel, and I know I carry around like a certain level of guilt in the fact that like, I know I've, I have so much and I don't feel like it's fair in a sense. And Mm -hmm. so I don't feel like if my, like, I definitely don't feel like my sadness sometimes and the, like the pressure that I put on myself and the stress is proportionate to what's going on in my life. And then I, you know, get upset over like the fact that I feel like my things aren't. Yeah. Like I should be happy. I should. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's another way the mind's avoiding the feeling. So if, so imagine that there was a little child and you know, her parents loved her very, very much, but always were being like, you know, She'd get an A in math and be like, okay, so now it's a school play. And she'd get the lead in the school play and it's like, okay, great. Now it's time to try it out for cheerleading. And she'd try it for cheerleading. It's like, okay, great. Now we got to start playing for colleges. How over time do you think that little girl would feel? Like me? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And what would be some of those words? Like people have really high expectations of her. Pressured. Pressured. Um... I don't know. Yeah. So, um, so the words that are coming up for me are, are pressured a little bit like, like there's a tightness in my chest because there's an anxiety yeah. that happens yeah. too. Um, there's a lot of mental activity. And the other thing I want to tell you about your depressive states is up until now, because you haven't had the the, the healthy coping strategies you need to deal with it those depressive states are basically when you give yourself a break. Yeah. And that's why they're happening. It's one of the reasons why they're happening. So the the opportunity here, the healing work here is to really go into the emotional realm, <laughs> to go into mm-hmm. some of these feelings that that happened as a result of putting so much pressure on yourself and that also just happen because of things that happened in your life, like what happened to you at 20. There's a a, a holding it together that you've been having since you were a young girl. And it's like, there's just a part of you that just wants to let it all go and, and collapse. But you're so terrified that if you do that, things are going to fall apart. So you're holding on really, really tight. And what Mm -hmm. I want to encourage you is, you know, with the right help and the right support, you can start letting go of a lot and it doesn't have to be all at once. And, and that's what's so important to, to tell you and anyone listening who has perfectionist or high achiever is that it's not like you have to let go of it all at once. It's just little by little. But part mm-hmm. a big part of it is not shaking this overachiever, I have to get it right, into your relationship with yourself and into your self-growth work. Like if you can move mm-hmm. into, like, I don't have to nail this. I don't have to get it right. 
I can, I can ask for help. I don't have to figure it out all on my own. And it's okay that I'm not perfect at this. Cause I'm human. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I need to like, maybe that needs to be on the side of my bed. <laughs> like, so I do every morning. Yeah. And I would, you know, the other just takeaway to remind you of is really practice those, those easier decisions like pink or blue or salmon or salad, just mm-hmm. quiet your mind, take a breath, listen, and whatever comes in first, go with it so that you can start yeah. to trust that, that inner voice. Just start slow with yeah. that. Okay. Does this help? Those are great suggestions. Yes. I'm okay. excited. Okay. How do you feel? I, I feel really good. I feel like I am definitely going to take and spend some time visiting those feelings that I had about that experience when I was younger. Mm-hmm. I definitely think your journaling exercise for like writing about it as it as if it's in the present moment is going to be really helpful. So I'm looking yeah. forward to doing that. Yeah. And just remember when you're doing the internal work, no goal, no analyzing, no, what do I need to do to fix this? Just allow it to be, just, just allow it to be. So if okay. you, when your achiever comes in, say, thank you, achiever. You've done such a good job of protecting me and such a good job of creating great things in my life. And you can, you can take a little vacation right now. Yes. <laughs> okay. We'll send, the, we'll send the achiever to Hawaii. There you go. You're going to hang out there. There you go. <laughs> So like I said, this was a bit of a longer call. So my wrap up will be a bit briefer. I just want to highlight some things here. So Quigley's first question was around the trouble uh, with decision-making and the trouble I see that people have with decision-making come from the three things I highlighted, parents not being there. And so just feeling completely lost or parents being totally over-involved in making all the decisions for the child. So there's not a sense of autonomy or they're just being a big ramification of the choices. And for Quigley, the trouble with decision-making came from the more big ramification with the choices. And there were two reasons for that. One, she said in her words, at an early age, I figured out how to succeed in life and I was hell bent on being the best. So her big ramifications, if she makes quote unquote, the wrong decisions is she loses a sense of identity. Early on, she decided I need to succeed in order for me to be loved, validated, popular, fill in the blank, all things that were important to her and they're important to any of us on some level. She decided she needed to be the best. So that's going to create some fear around decision-making. Plus when she had that decision she made about the swimsuit magazine and then it blew up and she felt very humiliated, which is an incredibly painful feeling to feel humiliated. Then it further reinforced, oh my God, I have to really overthink all my decisions because if I make quote unquote the wrong decision, I'm going to get totally humiliated. So she's been wanting to avoid two things, avoid number one, losing how she gets love, validation, praise, success, and two, avoid humiliation. So that's why decision-making is so hard. We've also got this perfectionist pattern that started to form an identity so much. So I think she thinks it's who she is. And Again, why I love this call is because Quigley is so honest and open and vulnerable, which I so appreciate. It's so courageous. And two, you really got to see and hear how a pattern works. You know, she really believes that she has to keep being the best and being perfect in order to continue to be successful. Yet at the same time, there's a part of her that doesn't feel fulfilled. And there's a part of her that's going into these depressive states after she reaches a level of success or after she goes and goes and goes and and does a lot of things. So that's why I started talking about the goal line and the soul line. And that distinction I learned in my grad school program at the University of Santa Monica. And like I described, the goal line is all the external success, all the things that she really has nailed in her life. But the soul line is where we find deeper levels of forgiveness and acceptance. The soul line is also where we're willing to go into the pain and the emotions that maybe we've suppressed and avoided. And I really want to emphasize that being a spiritual person doesn't just mean you meditate and you're all light and love and everything's flowy and airy-fairy. Spirituality is also embracing our shadow and embracing our shit and allowing ourselves to feel feelings that maybe we don't want to feel and also looking at the mask that we wear. And a lot of us wear the mask of, I've got it all together. I've got it all together. Everything's going well. And we 
maybe dabble in vulnerability, but really don't allow ourselves to take off the mask because we're scared. We're scared if we take off the mask or we lower the bar for even a minute, then everything's going to crumble. But that's some of what has to happen if we want to ascend on the soul line. We have to let go of some of the control. We have to let go of some of the doing so that we can slip more into self-acceptance. Because right now, what it seems like from my point of view is Quigley's self-acceptance is a bit conditional. There's a, I must blank in order to be successful, loved, mean anything and matter. And she's wrapped up in an identity that's worked very well on the goal line, but there's a part of her she doesn't even know yet. And it's getting to the soul line where she will discover that. And that's really what I'm passionate about and helping people in my private practice and my retreats and people that come into my mastery program. So if you're resonating with that and you want more on the soul line, definitely go to my website and check out the options that I have. So some takeaways for you from this episode, try making a solo decision-making pledge. And what that is, is for one week, you choose to make all the decisions you are faced with totally on your own without consulting anyone. And you make them quickly. You face a decision and you internally just ask yourself and boom, whatever comes up first, that's what you go with and start with simple decisions. Also journal about a time that felt traumatic or significant in your life. And remember for events to be life-changing, they don't have to be super traumatic. They can just be significant. They can just be significant. Like let's just make this up quickly. Didn't say this on the podcast, but let's say that in fourth grade, she won this incredible award for being the smartest girl in the class. That's a significant event because in that moment, she might've formed the belief, I always have to be the best. So I win these awards because wow, people really applaud for me and they really love me and I get a lot of validation. So for events to be life-changing, they don't have to be traumatic. They just need to be significant. And by life-changing means they form a certain pattern. So if there is a significant or traumatic event in your life, go back and journal about it in the present tense, like if it's happening now. So instead of talking about this happened to me at 15 and I felt like this, and then this happened, it's more, I'm 15 years old right now. And right now I'm experiencing bliss and I'm feeling this and da, 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 da. Like you write in present tense, you take yourself back there and write from that place and handwrite it. Don't type it because handwriting accesses the feeling part of your brain more than typing. And then finally, talk to the perfectionist part of you. You know, that part of you that really feels like you have to do it perfect or you have to do it a certain way or everything's going to fall apart and thank it. Say, thank you so much for protecting me for all these years. And you know what? It's okay. It's okay if we just get this done. It's okay if it's not perfect. It's okay if somebody doesn't like this. It's really okay. We're still safe and we're still loved. All right, everybody, that's the show for today. Thank you so much for listening. Sending you so much love and many blessings. Until next time. Thank you for listening to Over at Non With It. I love hearing from you. So please post your comments or questions at christinehasler.com slash podcast. That's also the place you can sign up to receive coaching from me in an upcoming episode. And if you love this show, please share it and subscribe on iTunes. You can find all my social media handles and sign up to be part of my community at christinehasler.com. Until next week, here's to getting over it and on with it. Much love and many blessings.